from embezzlement to affairs to pornography. I'm a firefighter. I'm a force responder. I'm a force responder. So I have no opinion on the fire except to know it is destructive. I have, I have uh, no opinion on, well, they shouldn't have been there. They shouldn't have been doing that. I'm a force responder. I'm going to triage it the best I know how. Raised as a pastor's kid, then going into the ministry himself for over 35 years, Sam Chan has seen the changes in the church firsthand. His book, Leadership Pains, dials into the challenges that have resulted in failures among pastors. For him and his ministry, it's not about getting that person back in ministry, back in the church, back in the organization. It's about the person, bringing healing to them, restoring them and their family. When, when I get contacted either by the person or the board or the executive team or the denominational leader, I'm not trying to salvage the church. I'm not focused on their quote-unquote ministry, their nonprofit. All I'm interested is in them and their family. Dr. Sam Chan, welcome to the ECFA podcast. We're so thankful you stopped by today. Well, I am just totally honored to be with you. And before we go any further, I just want you to know what a blessing ECFA is to the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you bring a level of assurance, confidence uh, to literally hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people. And that just makes such a difference in, in, in the work that people do in nonprofit and churches. And you, Michael, you are leading through a through some difficult days uh, in our in our society. And I just want to say thank you and express my deep appreciation on behalf of Kingdom of the Lord. Well, that is very kind. Thank you. It's our honor. And tell you what, we well, feel the same listen, way about you, you. <laughs> Sam. And just uh, your work. I know you come with such experience and, and a long resume, a long list of uh assignments that the Lord has called you to. But I think if I had to, you know, sort of put it all together and sum it up is I would say you're truly a leader of leaders and uh, we're so grateful for your influence and and really your heart for the Lord and uh, to to encourage leadership. And, and I know you and I have been talking, we've been in ongoing conversations on our podcast even about this idea of healthy leadership and integrity and leadership and why that is so important. So Thank you just in advance for all the, the great insights that I know you'll be providing to us here on today's podcast. Well, I appreciate, appreciate all the accolades that you're giving me. I don't know. I just, I guess when you get old like me, I'm 70 now. <laughs> so, you know, when you get, you get old like me, uh, people say stuff about you that is all just nice. Uh, you know, I was born and raised in a pastor's home. I have a great admiration for the church. I pastored myself, been a Christian university president. So church is, is my life, and uh, what you all do uh, is such a specialized and needed area. That's, that's what makes it so special. Well, thank you. Well, I'm just looking forward so much to learning from you today, but I think a good place to start is, you know, again, there's so much just wisdom, I think, that you bring to so many that are in, in Christian ministry leadership, but it comes from a deep place of of care, just as I've gotten to even know you. And so I think where I'd love to launch in is that 
You know, when we think about leadership, uh, Sam, it's it's one of those things where, uh, you know, a lot of times I know leaders are, are really good at projecting and putting on sort of the good face that, hey, all is well <laughs> and things. But I think we all know, right, that leadership comes with with some unique challenges and some uh, even burdens, if you will. And, and you do a good job uh, describing some of that in your book, Leadership Pain. But I'd love for you just to help us, all of us who care so much about the the leaders who are around us, kind of give us an honest uh, look at what are some of the mm-hmm. unique challenges that you see leaders face. So a little, a little uh, if I could pull back from that question and answer that question a little bit about uh, where I'm coming from. Uh, for over 30 years, uh, maybe 35 years, I've had the honor and the privilege of serving God's finest. And those are people who lead the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and and uh, when I started, uh, things were different than they are today. The church world uh, is, is morphed into so many different ways. And uh, leading a church is not the same as it used to be. So I, I, I have conversations with uh, uh, leaders on, an, on a daily basis. Uh, uh, today, when we are planning this, this conversation right here, I've already had uh, three with large church pastors, and I have three more scheduled. So any given day, I'm talking to five to seven major leaders. And this is what I know. Uh, number one is that pastoring is the hardest job as a professional on this planet. Let me let me break it down. Let me break it down. Uh, uh, a pastor sees more of the wear and tear of life than any other profession. Any other professional. Uh, an attorney sees you for legal needs. A doctor sees you for physical needs. Uh, insurance agency sees you for insurance needs. Your car mechanic sees you for car needs. Uh, so. Whoever they might be, they, they see you for a very specialized area of your life. You don't go to your attorney for this, and you don't go to your doctor for that. But, but a pastor sees you from the womb to the tomb, you know. They see you when, you when you are high. They see you when you're low. They see you when you have a job. They see you when you're unemployed. They see you when you're getting married. They see you when you're getting divorced. You, they see you when babies are being born, and they see you when your parents are dying. Uh, they see you when you're healthy. They see you when you are uh, sick. Uh, they, they, they see you in rejoicing moments. They see you in traumatic, tragic moments. So so a pastor gets to experience the whole gamut of human experience. And the other thing is it's nonstop. It just does not stop. It does not take a day off. I was talking to a pastor just uh uh, recently, who who said to me, he said, "I'm tired of doing funerals." Yes. And and, yeah. and and people think like, well, you know, we're just gonna call the pastor, and they think like the pastor's kind of dissociated. Uh, he's just a pastor, but this is family. Uh, pastor cares deeply. I mean, that's what a pastor is a shepherd. They care deeply for the lives of the congregants, and every one of those is a withdrawal. So so. Let me put a pause there and say, while I said that's the hardest job, there's a, a, a job harder than that. The, the hardest job in the world is being married to a pastor. I thought you might say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
being married to a pastor is the hardest job because because a pastor has forums that they can uh, process what's going on. They may have a board. They may have trustees. They may have executive teams. They have a staff. They, what, they have uh, pastoral friends that they can call and talk to. But but that that kind the a uh, uh, person married to the pastor does not have those forums. They they don't have those outlets. They don't have those safe places. They don't have those places where they can process it out. And and a person married to a pastor is carrying their spouse's pain. And 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 we all know that carrying somebody else's pain is more painful than carrying your own pain. So when you're carrying somebody else's pain, it is uh, the hardest thing. So yes, pastoring is very, very difficult. Being married to a pastor is exceptionally difficult. And there, and, and, and there are no, there, I mean, there are conferences for pastors, but who has a conference for those married to a pastor? And, and there's nothing stereotypical about that. And their expectations are on that person that are placed there, and and they live in a greater pressure bubble than even those they are married to. And then I, uh, let me just conclude with uh, this question with the third uh, observation is what I call decision-making fatigue. Decision-making fatigue. So uh, we, we are, we are uh, talking about this in post-pandemic days, uh, post-pandemic time, and especially through the pandemic and now, every decision has a pushback to it. Every decision has a pushback to it. So, so there's never the right decision or, or there's never a decision that meets with uh, a major affirmation. Uh, the, same, the same people who are affirming you today can turn against you tomorrow. And so, so now decision-making is through the eyes of loss and loss. There's very rare, very, very rare that a decision is a win-win. Uh, decisions are now lose-lose. And, and, and pastors are having to decide, hmm, where are my least losses? Where will I lose the least? Isn't that, isn't that a crazy thing to even say? Yes. Yeah. That now we're not thinking about how do we win. Now it is how do I lose the least? And those are the those are the the heavy lifting that the pastors are are doing. So yeah, it's a tough tough place to be. And and if you're listening to us right now, and uh, you're a member for church, and you're not the lead pastor, pray for your pastor. They're carrying weights that uh, should not be carried, and may God grace them with greater strength to do that. So yeah, it's a very very difficult time to be leading. Well, I so appreciate that because, you know, the whole spirit around these conversations that we're having comes very much from a place of not just care for, like, say, the capital C church or, um, you know, a, an institution or, or, or an organization, whatever it may be. But, you know, the leaders uh, who, like you said, God has called and have some of the most challenging uh, assignments uh, on this planet. So that is that is really helpful, Sam, just to kind of unpack from, I know, so much of your ministry to leaders. That's very helpful. I think one follow-up question, too, would be, and you, you touched on this just a little bit, but um, 
in terms of, and you've been at this for a while, what are you seeing today as it compared to challenges of leadership over time? Is there, has it accelerated or is there anything different about the level of challenge that leaders are facing today? Everything is different. <laughs> Everything is different. Uh, so I was born and raised in a pastor's home in India. My father was a pastor. Then I have pastored myself in Michigan and right now I live in Atlanta. I'm around pastors and churches on a, on a daily, daily, uh, and even in my lifetime, in my ministry time, everything has changed. So when I say everything, let me break it down and maybe even talk about what might be some contributing factors to that. Your preaching has changed. Your preaching style has changed. Your approach to the scripture has changed. So your homiletics has changed and your hermeneutic is being informed in different way right now. Uh, not, not only that, now, uh, I grew up in church services, uh, at least in, in my style of worship. You know, two-hour services were a normal. Uh, you don't want to try that today. Uh, you know, no one's going to go there. Uh, our worship styles have changed. Uh, are the lighting, I mean, there's more money hanging from ceilings of the churches now in, in light and sound huh? than, than we used to ha uh, have. Uh, I remember, you know, the church I pastored in Michigan, uh, I got my equipment from Radio Shack. <laughs> you know, nobody know, nobody does that anymore. Uh, our volunteering has shifted. Our church governance has shifted. Expectations have shifted. I'm an ECFA. When I was pastoring, there was no such thing as ECFA. But because of the structure of the churches and the needs of the churches, uh, that have changed Uh Attendance in churches have, have shifted multi-site and multi-services. So everything is changed there. But uh, the, some of the contributing factors to that, Michael, would be internal and external. So let's talk about uh, external uh, for a moment. Social media has really, really shifted churches because now pastors watch other, other pastors and other churches, and it's like keeping up with uh, what others are doing not realizing that a camera angle can make those 200 people look like 2,000. <laughs> not, not realizing that that close shot of that, of that pulpit can make it look like the stage is enormous. And, and, and it's, it's the best off, right? I mean, nobody puts a sermon out there and says, I died today. It just didn't happen. You know, there was no connection with the people and things as did happen. Nobody puts that out there. Everybody got that glorious thing. So there's this, there's this uh, feeling like everybody is just kicking it. I mean, everyone is a 12 out of 10. You know, it's, so that is the pressure out there. And of course, the cultural challenges. Wow. Pastoring today and the cultural challenges we are facing, there's more divisiveness in our society as a whole. Uh, there are sexual and uh, gender issues uh, that uh, pastors having to deal with. Uh, getting canceled <laughs> has always been there, but now it is more pronounced. I mean, I got canceled when I was pastoring by people leaving my church. That was the level of cancellation they left. But there was <laughs> there was no Facebook in those days. There's no Twitter, Instagram in those days. So they 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 said hateful things, but they said it. In a close cluster, it didn't go that far. But now, you know, uh, people can write reviews on you. They can start hosting you. So those are the external 
pressures a pastor's feeling, and there are many more. But internally, the saddest thing that I think has happened in the church is there used to be a pastoral respect. There was a, a reverence for what we call the man of the cloth. Uh, there, there was a, what I call pastoral authority that, uh, that made uh, leading people not easy, but more fulfilling. And that is sorely missing now. Uh, the, the respect that my father had, the respect that I had, uh, does, not, does not really exist now. Uh, and that, that, that uh, so, so there was a time in which when a pastor preached, people received it as God's word for me and my living. But now it's a mere suggestion that I can disagree with. Uh, people don't mind saying things like, I know what the Bible says, but. Or, oh, that is just your opinion. So that's those are internal pre pressures, the gravitas with which we were able to proclaim, thus says the Lord, is rarely there. And then uh, church is much more complicated now. Church governance is more complicated. Church finances are more complicated. There are more regulatory agencies that overs give oversight to the church. Uh, pay structures, compensation is more complicated. Uh, staffing is more complicated. HR issues are more complicated. It's not uncommon for churches to get sued by, uh, I'm not going to take names right now, but there, there are lawsuits that uh, people who are listening to me know about. Uh, churches have been sued by former employees. Churches have been sued by present employees. They are on staff right now and suing their employer, getting a paycheck from the church and yet in a lawsuit with that employer. And then volunteerism has shifted. Uh, background checks on people, uh, risk management. So church... Uh, Leading a church is much more complicated now. And, and so all that to say that uh, so much has shifted. Uh, maybe the last thing I can say about it, pastoring is more challenging today than ever before. I've always had the highest respect for pastors, but every day when I talk to pastors, I want to tell you, Michael, my respect factor for them is higher and higher and higher. It is the toughest, toughest, calling God has in people's lives. So yeah, everything has changed. Well, Sam, again, yes, you you painted that picture. Uh, it's really a sobering picture, but you, you painted that so well of the challenges that our spiritual leaders and frontline workers are, are facing today. And, you know, sadly, um, sometimes we also see those end up translating into some kind of a, a fall or a failure of a leader, which, you know, is just devastating. I know for all of us, and Sam, you mentioned even just as we were getting ready to to get on for this call today, I mean, you're in regular communication with so many leaders and uh, many of them who are still in ministry, but I also know uh, from from some of our conversation that you also have been directly, you know, in touch with, you continue in relationship even with some that have experienced a fall or, or a failure of some kind. and. Uh, you've been there, you know, you've been there to help minister to them, to help them walk through and process 
you know, uh, what, what they've gone through. So I'm just curious, Sam, you know, from that front row seat, if you will, what, it, what has that experience been like for you, you know, as you've gotten to hear from leaders about their experience? It just tears me up. It just tears me up. Uh, it just says to me, wow, the enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy, huh? And isn't that a picture that Jesus painted, uh, the progression to uh, steal? Somebody walks into my house and they burglarize my house, but they're not happy with just stealing. Then they have to kill me. And not only are they just happy to kill me, they have to destroy my house and burn it down. And that is the picture that is painted for us uh, in the scriptures. So it just, it just, uh, satin is a very light word. It just traumatizes me all over. And Michael, uh, and I want to say this, I want to use the next word on purpose. Unfortunately, I've had uh, the occasion to serve, oh, I lost count after a hundred uh, calls like that. Uh, from embezzlement to affairs to pornography to whatever comes to your mind. Uh, and so I have, I have created uh, uh, a way of thinking about it, a way of thinking about it. Uh, so my, my first thought that is, is that I'm a firefighter. I'm a first responder. I'm a first responder. So I have no opinion on the fire except to know it is destructive. I have I have uh, no opinion on, well, they shouldn't have been there. They shouldn't have been doing that. I'm a first responder. I'm going to triage it the best I know how. And, and, and I, have, I have been able to, with God's grace, hold two conflicting thoughts in my mind. I can spank that person and love that person at the same time. I can go off on that person and say, how could you? What's wrong with you? Uh, were you what were you thinking? Or what were you not thinking? How, what made you think that you'd be the first one to get away with this? And I can, I, 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 I have no, no problem doing that and the same time saying, well, I'm here for you. I'm not going anywhere. I love you. And I'm going to work as hard as I can to help you and your marriage. Now, I say that last sentence on purpose because I am not in, at that given time, I'm not interested in their ministry. I'm not interested in their church. I'm not interested in how well-known they are, how many books they have written, conferences they speak at, uh, the social media. That is the least of my concern. My only concern at that time is, can this marriage be rehabbed? So when, when I get contacted either by the person or the board or the executive team or the denominational leader, I'm not trying to salvage the church. I'm not focused on their quote-unquote ministry, their nonprofit. All I'm interested in is in them and their family. 
Uh, and I so, really and I really affirm that too because just as you share, I'm sure for so many of them, uh, tragically, it may be the first time in a really long time that someone has taken a personal interest in them, <laughs> not it, in who they look. are, in their role, in their ministry, um, which can be a contributing factor to how how they got to where they are. Absolutely, and and, and you know to key off from what you just said. When I get a call from a church board, their first interest is the church, as it should be. You know, I mean, they are stewards of this nonprofit. So they have to do their due diligence. I, I get that. So I'm not, I'm not dogging them. But I say to them at that time, uh, I appreciate this call, but you need to know you're number two. My first call and my first response is to the leader of the organization, be a nonprofit or a church. And, and then I try to get them competent help as soon as possible. Depending on the area it is, I try to get them competent help. And, and then I, I want, I, this, so some people are gonna disagree, disagree with me right here, but this is how I live my life. When I'm your friend, I'm your forever friend. I will, <laughs> I will try to track as close to Jesus as possible when he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So I'm saying to myself, if this brother, this sister needs friends, it is now. And so you can, you can mess up as bad as you want to, but one thing you need to know that Sam Chan is going to be your friend. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to dog you. I'm going to stay there. And I have only one, I have only one purpose, and that is to help get you back to health. Not important thing to say, not help get you back to your church. Yes, right. Not, not help to get you back to your nonprofit, not help to get your books back in circulation, not help to get you back to a conference platform. I want to get you back to your personal health, starting with Jesus, and your family. And, and, and then uh, I am totally comfortable having the awkward conversation. The awkward conversation, uh, are you still in touch with this person you had an affair with? Uh, are, are, are you still, what, what are you watching? Have you put a block on that? Uh, uh, how are you dealing with the financial integrity issues? So I will ask those questions because if you invite me into your life, then that to me gives me permission to ask you any question I want to. And you're not answering that question is an answer in itself. Ah, so you cannot hedge with me at that point. Uh, transparency and honesty, you've already lost integrity. And don't lose it any further because I'm here to help you. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you and, and and then I like to focus on the entire family because it's going to devastate the family. It's going to devastate who you're married to. It's going to devastate your children, your grandchildren, your in-laws. It's going to devastate your family because this is what I know. This is what I know. A mega ministry needs a mega marriage, and. I can tell you a mega marriage will sustain you through the ministry. 
ministry staff. Uh, I don't know if I have settled, settled this in my mind, Michael, but I don't know if ministry and marriage are compatible. <laughs> yeah, what do you mean by that? Yeah, uh, Ministry has destroyed more marriages than I know. Oof. And uh, we try living out our pain of ministry and we medicate it with alcoholism, we medicate it with uh, pornography, we medicate it with affairs, we medicate it with uh, a side hustle that is not legal financially, we medicate it in so many different ways. We medicate it by being so busy, speaking here, there, traveling everywhere, and we're just so proud, and I, my question becomes after a while, what are you running from? What are you running from? Who's chasing you? What's chasing you? Uh, what are you medicating your life uh, with? Uh, so yeah, it is it is a it is a very difficult time helping somebody to go through. I don't want to use the word restoration because that has been overused. I think. Uh, how do I nurse this person back to health? What does their rehab look like? Are they trying to rush this thing over here? Uh, can they be rehabbed to where they were? Maybe they they can't. Let me not give them false hope. So it's a it's a. I won't tell you. I I get I get personally emotionally traumatized every time I get that call. Yeah. Uh, I have not put on that Teflon in my life. It. I, I sometimes I will get off that call and actually weep. I'm sure. Yeah. Weep. Because nobody sins to themselves. Nobody yeah. sins to themselves. Absolutely. I have, wow. a, I have a friend right now. I have a friend right now uh, who pastored a very large church. When I said large church in his heyday, maybe 20, 25,000 people. And he started a, a financial scheme of some nature. Um, I'm not going to try to to do too much so that nobody tries to figure this out who I'm talking about, and that financial scheme ended up uh, defrauding people of millions of dollars. Many of them in his own church. Right now he's in prison. He's got a six-year sentence. I write him every two weeks. He writes me back. I send him a book or a journal, something to read every two weeks to this prison that he is in. He tells me I'm the only one outside his family who does that so consistently <laughs> with him. When he comes out, he won't have a church. I'm not looking for a speaking engagement. He's not paying me. <laughs> yeah. No, no, yeah. no church board has engaged me to do this because I genuinely love Bastards. He messed up. He knows he's messed up. He has paid those millions of dollars back to everybody, and so nobody has lost money. They lost faith in him, but nobody lost money because he personally paid them all back. But I'm committed to him. For as yeah. long as I'm alive and he's there, he's going to hear from me every two weeks. Sure. Wow. That is quite a story. And uh, just says so much to again, you know, about your heart and 
And I think so. I guess I asked that question from the the standpoint of what, yeah, what was your what what has been your experience? You know, when you get those kinds of calls and and you share with us that over a hundred now. I mean, that's almost mind boggling. But uh, I'd love to even mm-hmm. sort of go back in time, or if you were to rewind. And I know this is a it's probably an unfair and a tough question uh, because every scenario is different. But but Sam, if you were to say learning from those different experiences and those that you've talked to and kind of taking into account the big picture of uh, maybe themes or how folks got to where they are. What is your counsel for the leaders who are listening, who, who should be doing something proactive, you know, in order to stay healthy and to avoid, you know, being one of those who, who has made a phone call to you? What, a, what would be your advice on how we can be more proactive in terms of guarding our health, supporting our integrity as leaders? That's a huge question. Uh, and there's no formula to that. One thing I've learned, Michael, is that the enemy does not attack you in your point of weakness. The enemy will attack you at your point of strength. Yeah, unpack that. That's interesting. Uh, David, was a, David was a king. And he got attacked at his point of strength. He, uh, Solomon wisest men started making poor choices i've seen i've seen uh, leaders in the church world who uh were all that and the enemy attacked them in their point of strength uh i think that is what the scriptures allude to when it says uh uh take heed when you think you are strong when you think you're powerful when you think you stand take heed to your strength. It, uh, another place it says, uh, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. When you are weak, then I'm strong. So there's, there's this dichotomy going on. Because see, I know my areas of weakness. And I can keep my eye on my areas of weakness. And I can build hedges around my e- areas of weakness. Uh, uh, others, are, uh, others are guarding my areas of weakness. But it's those areas of strength that we don't have a covering for, that that we that we run from. My 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 pastor friend Leon Fontaine, who uh, unexpectedly went to heaven uh, a few months ago, pastor of a great church in Winnipeg. And Leon used to say, "Sam, for every mile of road, there are two miles of ditches, one on either side." Isn't that a good way to phrase that? For every mile of road, there are two miles of, of ditches. Uh, so that's the first thing I wanted to say. Beware lest you fall. Just when you think you've got that thing conquered, the enemy knows that uh, he can take you down. So having said that, uh, marriage has to be a top priority. Marriage has to be a top priority. Not your preaching, not your teaching, not your travels. Not your book writing, not your fundraising, not your church growth. Marriage has to be your top priority. It seems like, I can tell you this, uh, Michael, when I, when I got married in 1979, started pastoring my fortunes in 1980, I do not recommend that at all. Uh, so my first couple years of marriage were just hell because I was trying to grow this church 
and, and I learned in those days, uh, looking back on it, I, 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 I calendarized everything that was important. And ha obviously, my family was not that important. I calendarized my board meetings. I calendarized my volunteer training. I calendarized my sermon prep. I calendarized my speaking engagements. I calendarized everything. Because you only calendarize that which is important to you. But I did not calendarize my family. Hmm. So make marriage a top priority. I also learned the deficit I had in my life and most pastors I talk to now have that is what I call in my book, uh, Leadership Pain, I call that pain partners. Pain partners. Who are your pain partners? Not answer people. Who are your pain partners? Not consultants, not coaches. Uh, who are your pain partners that you can be naked with, that you don't have to camouflage around them? Pain partners who will not give you simplistic answers, uh, will not try to ask you, so how's your devotional life? Now, that might be a question to be asked, but they won't start there. Uh, pain partners who will ask you important questions of your life. I, I, I have a pain partner you know, who says to me, Sam, how's your marriage? And I give him an answer, and then he'll say to me, did you just lie to me? Right. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who are your pain partners? Uh, and, and then safe places. Safe places that you can actually uh, talk with. And one of the things that I have found, and if you're a denominational leader, please don't take this wrong. Very few pastors call the denominational leaders. Because once a denominational leader know something about you, they have to handle that uh, <laughs> because they are denominational leader and now that they know that you are doing this and not doing that, it is now they're going to handle it and it becomes punitive rather than uh, redemptive. I also know that pastors are tired right now. They're, not only are they tired physically, their soul is tired. Their soul is tired. And so I don't know what you're doing for your tiredness. And, and maybe, maybe you know, I have so much to say about it. Maybe I can end on this one. Uh, where do you detox? Where do you go to detox? Your emotional health. And your emotional health will catch up with you. Uh, and, and unfortunately, pastors think they are Teflon and they're saying things like, yeah, I got this. You know, they'll say things like, I'm going through a tough spell right now, but I'll be over it. You know, I'll be good. I'll be good. Thank you for asking. I'll be good. And then you find out they were not good. So where do you go for to detox? Who who uh, who allows you into that sanctum of their life? Who who who's where, where you you know in the Bible there were cities of refuge. You remember that? I mean, <laughs> when you messed up and someone's trying to kill you, you could run to the city of refuge, and it doesn't matter what you did. You were safe in the city of refuge. And, and, and churches uh, do not provide cities of refuge. We, we are bad about killing a wounded, shooting a wounded. We are bad about that. And, and, and so I think there's certain things you can do proactively. Uh, but if you can keep your marriage a priority, that is a starting point. That's starting point. And, and how I would have want if you said to me it's a priority, I'll want I'll ask you how would I know it's a priority? And then is it calendarized, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's not, if it, two things, if it is not in your calendar, if it's not in your budget, it's not a priority. Right, right. 
Hey, you know, that was, that was so helpful and I appreciate too. It really comes full circle in a way, you know, in so many ways of, of what we started the conversation with Sam, which was the humanity of leaders. I think so much of what you shared just in terms of how we can all be proactive, how we can, you know, stay healthy. I mean, that really speaks into the humanity of us all. So there's certainly things that, that leaders can do, you know, that, that they need to own. But then also, I think we also understand, I mean, nobody does this uh, alone or they shouldn't be. One of the most dangerous things is to be, you know, isolated, right? So I guess another uh, question that I would have for you too is how can the community around a leader, hopefully they are surrounded by, you know, others that can help hold up their hands at times or, you know, put their arm around their shoulder or support them in different ways. How can we as a community surrounding leaders, what, what can we do to help them along this journey? That is such a, what I call consequential question. Mm. So let me talk to boards for a minute. If, 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 if they uh, allow me to speak to boards, you're a board, not just for the organization, but for the lead leader of the organization as well. And you have to steward that responsibility to care for your CEO, to care for your lead pastor. Uh, a lot of times, uh, dysfunctions emerge in the lives in the context of lack, uh, lack of affirmation, uh, lack of a safe place, uh, lack of finances, uh, lack of time away, uh, or uh, pressure to perform in certain ways. Uh, so, you got to ask yourself, uh, if, if, if I was to give account for my pastor in heaven, uh, and the question was, how did you care for your pastor? Uh, how would I answer that? Huh. And would that be acceptable? Uh, and I think boards can also ask tough questions of their leader, but do it privately. Do it private. You don't want to ask personal questions in a group. Uh, you want to have that sidebar with your CEO, your executive director, your lead pastor, uh, your senior pastor, whatever you call your leader, uh, but have that sidebar question in a safe environment. And the, the, your, your, your leader, your pastor, your executive director needs to know that the, if they were to give you a, an, a, an honest answer, that that will not jeopardize their well-being. That you are you you're asking the question because you're for them, not to set them up. Uh, I'm a pastor-centric guy, you know. As goes the church, the pastor so goes the church. I'm a, I'm a pastor-centric person. So whenever with pastors, I just did this uh, uh, day before yesterday uh, with a very large church pastor uh, and his wife. They took me out for a very nice dinner. Uh, took me out for an Indian dinner. So you know. Uh, they were already up there in my book. <laughs> and and they talk, we talked about all kinds of different things. And then at the end of that conversation, I asked them the two questions I ask every pastor when I conclude a conversation. I asked them for permission. And this is what I say to them. I'm going to ask you two questions. You don't have to answer me. If you don't want to talk about it, just tell me I don't want to talk about it. And I'll move on from there but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you these two questions. So Michael, here are the two questions I ask every pastor. Number one, how's your marriage? Number two, how's your money? Yes. 
And I'm not talking about church money. I'm talking about your personal money. You for, uh, Pastor, you're 46 now. How's your personal money doing? Uh, how are you taking care of your money? And so if your board member listening to me right now, the pastor should be able to say, my board loves me. Is making sure that I will be able to uh, transition and not worry about how I'm going to live when I'm 63, 64. That my board has made all the provision. I have a financial planner. I, I have, I have uh, some objectives that we're working through. So uh, the community, I'm talking the community now, the two most important questions in my mind that I always ask are, how's your marriage? How's your money? Personal money, not church money, personal money. And I think those two, if those two things are whole, the chances of that person finishing well are whole. It's not that I want people to finish well. I want them to be well when they finish. There you go. That's a good yeah. way to look at it. Yeah. yeah. So, so everyone, everyone's talks about, I want to finish well. My question is not you finishing well. My real question is, are you going to be well when you finish? <laughs> well in your marriage, that's your family, if you want to expand that, and well with your finances. So you don't have to downsize uh, your level of living. You can still invest in your grandkids. You can still travel. You can still have vacations. You can uh, still do what you do right now without saying, you know, now I don't have that. But that starts because you started making plans and the board made sure that you had a financial plan for your future. Mm. I love that. Well, you've casted the the vision for us really well there of being well when we finish. I'm going to remember that. <laughs> that is good. Uh, well, I know we've covered so much ground, uh, just, you know, touched on different, you know, very critical pieces of this conversation around healthy leadership and, and so many of the things that you've seen. Uh, Sam, is there any question that I haven't asked you or anything else that along these lines, any wisdom that you would share, whether it's to leaders who are listening, the communities around leaders, any other closing thoughts? Sure, I, I, just, just a couple, just a couple, brief ones. Uh, Ernest Hemingway, a great uh, uh, fiction writer, uh, has a book called The Sun Also Rises. In there, there are two characters, Bill and Mike. Bill is going bankrupt, and Mike, his friend, is talking to him. And Mike asks a question of Bill. He says to Bill, how did you go bankrupt? And the next line, the answer is so pertinent to what we're talking about. The answer was gradually and then suddenly. Gradually and then suddenly. So when we're talking about uh, bad choices, wrong turns in life, it's never suddenly is gradually and then sudden. That's the first wow. thing I want to say. Let that sink in. <laughs> Everyone who's mm -hmm. listening. Mm -hmm. But yes, go ahead. Go Keep ahead. your eyes on the gradualies. The second one is a personal experience. I was 28 years of age. Uh, I had just been elected to this church, a country church in Michigan. 
And uh, I was just ecstatic about pastoring the church. I'd never pastored a church before. My father was a pastor. I'd been associate pastor, but never a church pastor, youth pastor. And I went to my, my denominations church conference. I went to a conference uh, in central Ohio. And uh, the leader of our group, our small denomination, his name was Dr. Chester Miller. Chester Miller. Uh, very soft-spoken, non-assuming, uh, just uh, a humble man of God. And we called him Brother Miller. Brother Miller. This is, this is 1980. So I'm dating myself, but this is 1980. And, and, and I saw my leader across the parking lot, uh, and I ran across. I still can see myself, 28 years old, excited, you know, uh, all black hair at that time, <laughs> you know, uh, running across the parking lot. And I said to him, Brother Miller, Brother Miller, have you heard? I got elected to this church in Michigan. And I wanted him to say, yeah, but in his un understated way he kind of looked at me older gentleman looked at me said yes brother sam i've heard i've heard that you are going to be pastoring the church i said to him, brother miller brother miller if there was one piece of advice you could give me what would that be and his advice was so disappointing and huh. i left his presence as the rich young ruler who just been given gold and he walked away from there I was expecting him to say something about decision-making. Uh, go slow, go fast, make this change, don't make that change, preach this, don't preach that, start this, stop that. And he kind of looked at the asphalt in the parking lot, looked back at me, didn't even look me in the eye, kind of looked at me in the chest. And Michael, here are the words he said to me, which make more sense to me at the age of 70 than it did when I was 28. <laughs> This is what he said to me. He said, Brother Sam, live long, live clean. Live long, live clean. I want to tell you, to all my listeners and to you, uh, it did not make sense to me at that time. I had no filing cabinet to file that under. I didn't have a computer to do a save as. But now, looking back at the wreckage that I've had to deal with in other people's lives, looking at, back at the wake of tragic, traumatic circumstances in the kingdom of our Lord, the words of Brother Miller, Chester Miller, in that parking lot in middle Ohio ring louder in my head live long, live clean. And maybe that'll help somebody who's listening to us today. Oh, live long. I know that it does. Yeah. Live, live long, live clean. I know that it does. And goodness, if you just think about how, yeah, the Lord has used that in your life. It's, it's become that mission statement for you. And thank you again, just for the gift of your time, your insights today. Uh, just encouraging to me as always. And, and I know there's others who, who, who are listening as well, Sam, and um, they would want to continue to, to, to hear from your wisdom and stay up to date with, with all that you're doing. And, and I know uh, 
I've got the benefit too. I've seen uh, and taken advantage of many of the different resources you know that you've offered over the years, including Leadership Pain. We talked about that book earlier on the podcast. Uh, you're not asking me to, <laughs> to to tell everyone to read it, but I would say if you're a leader, you gotta you gotta take a look at that. And then more recently too. Uh, I've also seen Sam through through your website and other ways. Um, Avail uh, is another resource, right? That you're yeah. putting into the hand of, hands of leaders. Can you tell folks about that? Absolutely. So uh, I have a leadership journal. Uh, this cover happens to have John Maxwell on the cover. Uh, we did one special issue for his 75th birthday legacy issue. But this comes out every quarter, so four times a year. Uh, you know, it's a hundred and some pages long. Uh, as you can see, it's beautiful, uh, good photography, but uh, it's all leadership, Christian leadership, uh, and not just for you, but your entire congregation can get it. You can get the entire next year free of charge, uh, four issues free of charge. Your entire board can get it, your, your, all your volunteers can get it, uh, all your lead people can get it, your donors can get it. And here's the website, availjournal.com, avail journal.com and you're going to start getting this right away you can get a hard copy or a digital copy your choice availjournal.com it is uh, christian leadership eclectic leadership written to the highest levels of uh, proficiency it is attractive you will uh, even uh, after you're done with it i can tell you you will not want to throw this away it is just it is just a you know collector's item that you're gonna, but the good news is this is not just for you. This is for anybody you want to add value to availjournal.com. Thank you for giving me that opportunity to share that with your listening and watching audience. Well, you bet. No, we appreciate it. And um, I think, yeah, it's just one of those things where I'm glad you mentioned it, it's one of those resources that you wouldn't throw away because <laughs> you just never know uh, sometimes when when something that's been published will be that word in season. So no, I think that's great. And I just want to say thank you again for being part of the podcast. Thank you for being part of our ECFA community and for all the leadership lessons uh, and really the the cheerleader that you are uh, to so many who are in our community. We just appreciate it so much. Thanks, Sam. Oh, thank you, Michael. This has been an awesome honor for me and may the Lord continue to bless ECFA in ways uh, that'll keep impacting the kingdom of our Lord. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Behind the Seal podcast from ECFA. I think Sam brought the reality to light about why ECFA, the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, is talking about leadership health all year on this podcast. Well, things change. The role and view of pastors has changed as he described, the average church has changed with more staff, bigger congregations, and as Sam said, more money hanging from the ceilings, referencing the audio video system that we see. ECFA is here to help enhance trust. Times change, and we are here to support and encourage leaders to be healthy, to be diligent. We believe healthy leaders are another foundation to trust, and we believe it enhances all other parts, financial and otherwise. Hey, thanks so much for listening. We appreciate you sharing this conversation and subscribing wherever you get your podcast. Have a great week.